Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've been working our way through this book for two and a half months or so. I think this is the 10th or 11th sermon so far. So if you've missed any, go back. They're all on our website that you could watch and listen to. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is addressing an issue that the Corinthian church has. And we've been seeing it now for, since the beginning. And he's going to begin to, he's going to hammer them home on why this is so important. And really, what, it's, what they're doing is they are causing church division. They're trying to divide the church over, like we said, their favorite apostle. Which is silly if you think about it. And so when Paul says in verse 4, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Their sin was pride which was dividing the church over such trivial matters. They were placing their identity in Paul, who started the church at Corinth, and Apollos, who of course aided the work and taught a lot in Corinth. And by doing so, what the Corinthian church was doing was giving all the glory to Paul and Apollos. Now mention, he doesn't mention Peter in this chapter, even though there was a faction that went after Peter. Which tells you that the two biggest groups in this uh, divided church was Paul and Apollos and their fan clubs. And what we're going to see here is that they were given the success of ministry and what God is doing through his gospel to human beings. And when you place your faith in confidence in human beings, especially the pastor or pastors of your church or church leaders... And you are essentially making them your functional saviors. And that is wrong. You are misdirecting the glory that is only due for God. And by doing so, you do a great disservice to yourself and to the church and to your leaders. Paul is not saying here not to be thankful for Paul or thankful for Apollos. He's not saying not to respect them. He's not saying not to honor them. Because there is a right and honorable way to treat pastors and to treat church leaders without idolizing them like the Corinthian church was doing. For example, the scriptures give us plenty of commands on how the church is to respond to its leaders. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 17, we're told here, it's, there, it's told to the church, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as to those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. So here, the first thing that the churches do to their spiritual leaders, the elders, the pastors of the church, is to obey them. Not to obey us in every little trivial matter, but especially when it comes to the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. As a pastor is faithful to proclaim the truth, the church must follow what God's word says because those who are 
carrying the responsibility of teaching the word, have to give an account before God. And that terrifies me, to be honest with you. That one day I have to stand before God and have to give an account on how I pastored you. How I taught you. And I, do, and I, do, I don't do what I do up here lightly. And I have that in mind all the time. To make sure that I am faithful to do my calling in a right and honorable way. But as I am faithful to God's word, so you ought to be faithful to God's word as well and to obey the leaders as we direct you through God's word. Secondly, this command is given to the church to take care of the leaders. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul says this to Timothy and to the church there in Ephesus that Timothy was leading. Let the elders, again, elders is another word for pastors, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. It is right and biblical and honorable for the church to provide for the needs of of those who are serving them in ministry. So, we're to obey our leaders. We're to take care of them and give them double honor, especially those who preach and teach. And the scripture also says that the church is to respect the elders and the pastors of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, And are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idols, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with all. Here Paul tells the Thessalonian church to to respect and to admonish and to esteem them highly in love. And so again... Paul is not slamming the Corinthians because they were giving too much respect to Paul and Apollos. No, he is calling them out because of their sinful pride in dividing the church, making Paul better than Apollos or Apollos better than Paul, and elevating them really to the place of God. Because they're to respect them, to obey them, and to care for them in love. And let me add here that You all do this so well, and I love you guys so much. I I feel so loved and respected and honored by all of you, and your kindness is not unnoticed. At the moment, I'm the only recognized elder or pastor at the church, and we've talked many times about how that needs to change, especially hopefully next year as, as the Lord raises up elders and leaders in our church It is biblical and right for a church to be led by a plurality of elders or or pastors. But human nature tells us this, that we're going to gravitate toward probably one over the other, right? We're going to have a pastor. So so this is not addressing a problem that exists because we don't have a plurality of elders. But Lord willing, we will one day and Lord willing, that will be next year. However... When we do have a plurality of elders, a plurality of pastors, nobody better say, well, well, Pastor Dan is my pastor, and the other bozos are, you know, they're just there. No. If you do that, 
then you're like the Corinthians. He's saying, well, I'm on team Dan. And look, I, I, my pride wants you to have you a part of my fan club. Trust me. But that's not healthy for the church or for you or for that. And so we need to guard ourselves even now that when the Lord does raise up elders, does raise up leaders in our church, that we know that they are God's gift to the family to lead them well. And we don't need to play competition one versus the other. May, may never be said here like it's said there that they're on team Apollos or team Paul. For when we do such things, we create a culture of unhealth. And today the church is, not our church, but the church in general is plagued with this. We're plagued with the epidemic of celebrity pastors. We're plagued with this. Celebrity pastor, if you think about it, is an oxymoron. Because that shepherd is a lowly, humble servant who takes care of sheep. Not a celebrity and lots of times, celebrity pastors are morons. So, I mean, that kind of fits. But this doesn't mean a pastor can't be well-known. Or it's impossible, not, it's impossible if God has given them influence to, to be well-known in the ministry and, to, and, 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 and other people to look up to them. I have some men I love to look up to, like John MacArthur and, and of course, R.C. Sproul, who's now home with the Lord, and other men like that. However, it does mean that a pastor should not aspire to fame or fortune. And if he does, then he should resign as he's disqualified himself from ministry. If a pastor is seeking for applause or anything like that, he needs to be reprimanded and to be asked to be removed from his office when churches elevate their pastors to be praised and put them in places only reserved for God, like the Corinthians are doing, they do great harm to the soul of that pastor. And this what was causing and leading to the church being divided here in Corinth. Now, from this text, I see five cures for church division. Okay? Five cures for church division. Paul is about to lay this out, how they can solve this problem. By a right understanding of truth. And he says this in this verse. In verse 5. What is Apollos? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're merely servants of God. The first cure for church division is to consider who pastors truly are. They are mere men or servants Stop treating your pastor as if they are God or they're better than you. We are not. We are merely servants of God. And to humble pastors even more, the word that Paul uses here is pretty humbling in itself. When you dig down deeper into this word servant in the Greek, it's the word diakonai, which literally means, are you ready for this? Busboy. The word was used in the first century to refer to those who waited on tables. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Busboys through whom you've believed. That's the word Paul uses. Wow. I'm in my study. I'm excited to preach. And God calls me a busboy. Okay, great. Thank you. It puts on a whole new meaning 
that. Consider who your pastors are. They're like waiters. They're like serving tables. That puts a whole different meaning on it. Hmm. So let's put this in perspective. We all love to go out to eat. You go to a restaurant, you enjoy the meal. What's your focus at the end of the night? If you really enjoyed the meal, you say, my compliments to the busboy. That doesn't make any sense, does it? That what did the busboy have to do with your meal? He only cleaned up after you. He only brought you the food from the kitchen. And I love what John MacArthur says about this topic. He says, the pastor's job is not to be the chef, the one who makes the food. No, it's to be the waiter who brings it from the kitchen to the table without messing up the food. When we elevate pastors into being celebrities, we give the credit to the busboy, the pastor, instead of the chef, who is God. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. This is not my word, right? I'm not preaching my sermon my way. My job is to tell you what this says, to explain it. My job is to bring it from the kitchen to the table so that you can eat and feast and grow. And the point of all that is to what? Worship God. To give glory to God. You're not going to elevate me as a, as a great speaker, for I'm not. You're not going to elevate me as a great Bible teacher and whatever. God may use me, just like he uses the busboy. But this is the perspective. Corinthians, let's focus on the cause of your division. Do you understand who we are? You're making it about us. But really, it's about God. That's like giving the credit to Babe Ruth's bat boy for hitting the home run. Sorry, I love baseball. I... That's like giving the credit to the pencil instead of the architect who designed and drew the building. Oh. And you know, we just need to stop and consider this for a moment. This is a different kind of sermon, but it's so important to dwell on. You know, every year we hear of horror stories, unfortunately, of pastors who've disqualified themselves for ministry. And normally what you hear about is what? Pastors struggling with sex or greed. This is why pastors fall. But can I tell you that that's not the main problem? The main problem that pastors have and that should disqualify more pastors from the ministry is not sex or greed, but pride. Pride. There's many pastors that shouldn't be pastors because they're so full of themselves, there's no room for God. And really, if you look at every sin that comes from our lives, brothers and sisters, it's all rooted in pride. It's all thinking that we deserve more. It's all thinking that, that, I, do, that I want to do that because it makes me feel better regardless of what God says. And pride is at the heart of many pastors' failings and weaknesses. So listen to this. So when you elevate the pastor or elders of your church to a place of high authority like God and like celebrities, do you know what you do to us? You fan the flames of our pride. That's what you do. And you do a great disservice to our souls and to what God is doing in us. This does not mean that a church's job is to humble their pastors. Trust me, God does that just fine. 
right? Some, some people say, well, our job is to keep you humble. No, it's not. Your job is to do what the scripture says, right? And I read you three passages earlier, what your commands are to your elders and leaders. God will do the humbling. Treat them as God intends, merely servants of the most high God. Honor, respect, obey as they obey Christ and are faithful to the word. That's how you best love me. That's how you best can serve me, is to pray for me. And to pray for God to keep my pride in check. And when you do, you care greatly for my soul. The worst thing you could ever do for a pastor is to flatter him. We don't need that. We don't need that. Our, 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 trust me, we crave it. But we don't need that. Be honest with your testimonies and your compliments and let them be driven by worship of God because of pastors, not the pastors in spite of God. Hmm. And this is how Paul, to further illustrate this boy, this, this uh, point that pastors are merely busboys. And I'm not kidding you. That's the word that's used for servants there. It's a variation of the word deacon, diakonoi, table servers like they did in Acts 6. He says in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 3, to prove this point, I planted, that's what he says, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who, also, who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The second cure for Church division is to glory in God by realizing it is God who causes growth, not pastors. Paul says, consider what we did. What did I do? I planted. Paul went to Corinth. He preached the gospel. He went to the synagogues. He went to the Jew first, and then he went to the Greek. He shared Christ. He planted the seeds of God's word for 18 months. Many people believed before he left. And many people believed after he left. He started the church of Corinth like he did all the other churches around the Roman Empire. Paul says, I planted, but I didn't do all the work. Who came after me? Apollos. What did Apollos do? He watered it. Paul says, it's just like I planted a seed in the ground. But someone else had to come further that work. And that's what Apollos did. He watered it. But even watering it doesn't make the thing grow. God causes things to grow. God can work through the ministry of mere men for his glory. It's not Paul who planted that deserves the glory. It's not Apollos who watered. It was God who gave the growth just like one worker plants the field and seed in the field, the other one waters it. Neither the worker who planted the seed can get the credit, neither the one who watered it can get the credit. Because neither of them went inside that seed and said, grow. It grew by nature the way God designed it to grow. Just like the church and the gospel and the word of God does in the hearts of people. Both of those are important. Paul's not saying what I did was unimportant and what Apollos did was not important. No, they were both important. But we are only serving God in this way. And so you're, you're missing the point. Because I, Apollos needed me to plant it and I needed Apollos to water it. So why are you fans of one or the other? 
doesn't make any sense. Neither the person, it was God who gave the growth. Most of you were Christians before I met you. Someone else planted the seed of God's word in your heart. Someone else shared the gospel with you. I can't take credit for that. And, and why you've been here underneath my ministry, if you've been here since day one and you've listened to 10 years of sermons, I've watered the seed that someone else planted. For some of you, I planted the seed. And after me, someone else will water it. Neither I or the person who started it can take any credit. We give all the glory to God. Hmm. You are who you are today because God used other people in your life. That's why. We can be thankful for those whom God has used without giving them the credit. God turns our labors into joy for his glory, for your spiritual growth. That's what Paul says. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God. <laughs> wow. Talk about a humbling, humbling passage of Scripture to do that, to study this week. And so the first cause is to consider who pastors are. Secondly, to consider is God who gives the growth. And look at verse 8. We'll look at the third one. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The third cure for church division in Corinth is to realize that faithful pastors are on the same team and are all equal in importance and worth. Faithful pastors are on the same team. He who plants and he who waters are one. They're not competing with one another. They will receive their wages according to their labor. Paul is not more important than Apollos. Apollos is not more important than Paul. Dan is not going to be more important than elder so-and-so. Or elder so-and-so is not going to be more important than Dan. That's not the way it works. Let's get that out of the way now as we move into that season next year. How silly of us to be in competition with one another when we hold the same rank and serve the same master. Now look at this. How does God reward his servants? You would think, well, God rewards pastors based on what they produce. Right? And so the pastor who has the biggest church, God gives more rewards to. Or pastors who bring in more people in the gospel. That's who... That's who God is more happy and pleased with. It's not what it says. This is a natural way to think about it. We think very works-oriented. But note, what's, what, look what Paul says. Each one, the one who plants and the one who waters, will receive his wages according to what? His labor. According to his labor. God does not reward the planter for how much harvest came. God does not plant, uh, reward the waterer based on how much crops were produced. No. How does God reward those who are faithful? How they worked. In other words, to God in ministry, 
faithfulness is more important than fruitfulness. And that is so important. God rewards based on faithfulness, not the size of your harvest. This was an important lesson for Dan to learn early in my ministry. As a younger pastor, starting out, because because, I was a very prideful person. Very prideful person. I was very concerned with results. How many people came? How many people got saved? How many people got baptized? Is, my, is the church growing? Is the church declining? All these numbers and stats, which you know I love stats, are, were so important to me. And I based my identity and what was produced. And when things were going really well in the church, guess what? Dan was a happy camper. Why? Because I looked good. And when things weren't so good, guess what? I was a mess. Why? Because I based my identity and what I produced for God. And here's the thing that's so crazy. Fruitfulness is not up to me. But faithfulness is. That's the point that Paul's trying to drive home. You all concerned, Corinthians, about who is producing more fruit in the church. But the laborer receives rewards based on his labor. That he served God and how faithful and obedient he was to God. Not in what that results. Because it is God who causes things to grow. So how can you take credit for something that God grows? God holds us responsible not for the results but for how we obeyed him and faithfulness and laboring in the field. Dan was so concerned with results and numbers. Dan was so concerned with the applause of people. And guess what? God doesn't care about any of those things. God is not going to ask me when I get to heaven, why didn't more people come to your church? Why didn't you baptize more people? Why didn't you have more of this or that? God is not going to judge me or any pastor on the fruit of their ministry, but on the faithfulness of it. That changed everything for me. For I learned that God is just as satisfied and glorified by a faithful pastor preaching the word in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, with 10 people in his church, than he is with any megachurch boasting 10,000 or more. And it was the idolatry of a young Dan who wanted this big church Big church, just give me thousands of people to come to hear me and stoke my ego, please. And God has a way of humbling us. God has a painful way of humbling us. And I was so concerned about all that stuff. And it was destroying my soul. Destroying it. We have no control about how fruitful. We have all concern about how faithful we are. This is why Paul says, who are they? In verse 5, they are servants through whom you believed. And listen, as the Lord assigned to each. Whoa! Who puts pastor so-and-so in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, with 10 people? I don't know why I'm hating on West Virginia this morning. Sorry if you're from there. Who put that pastor there with 10 people? God. I 
And we hear stories of missionaries to serve on the field for decades without a single convert. But that's not the point. Because it's God who uses faithfulness, is concerned about faithfulness to produce the fruitfulness. Whether you are faithful, and there are some faithful pastors who churches do not grow, and that's okay. Because it's all up to a sovereign God about how each happens. Wow. It's all up to God who gets saved. It's all up to God how people grow. Why should we boast that our church is bigger than any other church? Like we did it. And there are churches that do that. And they use worldly means and worldly ways and entertainment and smoke, lights, mirrors, circus shows right in the middle of the service so that they could draw in the numbers and look at us. Look at the big buildings we're building. Look at the big budgets we're having. And like we saw last week, this church is filled with false converts and huge crowds. And those churches are seen more successful. Why? Because they got more people. But that is not the game God plays. God is concerned about how faithful we are to obey him, to do things his way. Not to please man, but to please God. That's crazy talk. This is what Paul's trying to communicate there. Realize, thirdly, that faithful pastors are on the same team. They're all equal in worth and importance. It's not one over the other. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds it. The fourth cure for division in Corinth is to glory in God by realizing that whatever skills one has over another is given by God's grace and measure. And in this situation, Paul knew a lot of theology. Very deep in the things of God. And Apollos was a great speaker, we're told. He could wow a crowd by the way he spoke with eloquent speech. Why is Paul more gifted in one way and Apollos is more gifted the other? Because God, by his grace, assigned to each a measure of giftings and talents for a certain purpose. So that Paul can plant and Apollos can water. We need not glory in the talents of people, for it is God who gives the talents and the giftings to each individual. What did Paul say? I served you by laying a foundation as a skilled master builder. Was Paul gloating in himself? No. He's saying all this was given to me by grace. And the same thing for Apollos. I laid the foundation, but someone else is building upon my foundation. And it's okay, because I know how to lay the slab. I don't know how to raise the structure and the trusses. Someone else is going to do that. I'm doing my job as God instructed me to do it. And someone else is going to do the rest as God has called them to do that. Wow. There's no other foundation to be laid. But Christ, we see in verse 11. So the fifth cure for division in Corinth is to glory in God by laying Christ as the foundation What does God care about? God cares about truth. What is it? What is faithfulness defined as? Preaching Christ and Him crucified. He's already told them this. Remember, the Corinthian church wanted 
Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom and human philosophy. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 1. Remember this one. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Yeah, no one can lay a stronger foundation than Jesus Christ. So, Paul, Apollos has his giftings to build upon the foundation I laid. Praise God. Praise God. We're on the same team. Apollos, if he's preaching and teaching you Christ... He's being faithful and God will reward him based on his faithfulness to that message. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. There's coming a day in which we will all stand before Christ as our king and judge. Christians, this is not a judgment of sin, but a judgment of reward. Christ has already borne our penalty. We don't need to fear standing before God as if he's going to judge us for all of our dumb decisions. However, this judgment seat of Christ that's spoken of here in the book of Corinthians is God filtering all the junk that we did for him for our selfish vainglory Versus the faithfulness that we served God with and did what he asked us to do. And Paul, Paul is saying, look, I'm doing it this way. Apollos is doing it this way. Peter's doing it this way. When it's all said and done, anything that we have done to promote ourselves, anything we have done to glory in ourselves and to give all this falsehood about our importance, one day... It will burn like wood, hay, and stubble. What happens if you light wood, hay, and stubble? It disappears. Why? Because there's no substance. But at the judgment seat, those foundations that you built upon the Lord Jesus Christ with biblical truth, when they're burned like gold, silver, and precious stone, they don't disappear. They may melt, but wood, hay, and stubble disappears becomes ashes it remains why because it is solid this is the description that God gives like a refiner's fire so in the end when a pastor gives an account before how he pastored his people all of Dan's stupidity all the selfishness all the all the junk in my life everything I've done for the wrong motives and wrong reasons everything over 24 years will go before God And I will be judged on my faithfulness to God based on my reward. And all that dumb stuff is taken off by the blood of Christ. Amen. It'll burn up. It won't last. 
But how does God reward? Through faithfulness, according to our labors. And that, that is humbling. Count Zinzendorf once said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That should be the goal of all our lives. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. We're so concerned about legacy and impact and being a generational changer. And man, you, you think you're so much more important than you really are. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. And this is what Paul is saying here. The Corinthians wanted to build upon human philosophy and wisdom. And Paul is saying, that doesn't last. That will burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. Be faithful. Be faithful. This is what matters. Do not put your trust in celebrity apostles. Do not put your trust in your elders or your pastors and treat them as if they are heroes because they will disappoint you. Pray for them. Guard their soul. Treat them as God has commanded. And know that the power of God through them is through their faithfulness to God. And this message, even though it was very pastor-centered, and you're like, Dan, are you preaching to yourself? Yes, I am, actually. I'm preaching to me. But also, this message is applicable to all of us, whether we're a pastor or not. For even though you, many of you will never serve in ministry, as I do, these are principles which we guard our lives against. For all of us deal with pride. All of us do that. All of us serve Christ as his people. What are you living your life for? What are you living your life through? And what power can you do all these things in? Because God will hold you accountable too and also give you rewards based on your faithfulness to God as well. Some people think it's, oh, how much money I give to God? No! It's about... Your obedience, empowered by the Spirit, because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. From the humblest saint to the most supposed glorious star. Why do we do that? Why do we put people on pedestals? It's just human nature to do that. Let's stop doing that. I'm one of you. I'm one of you. I'm not more important. I got, God has just gifted me to be a pastor teacher. This is a calling of God. God has gifted you in other ways. This is just one of the gifts expressed in the local body of believers. This is not a career. This is a calling to serve you. We serve each other as we serve and are faithful to the Lord. There's so much more I could say. But to wrap it all up, how do we solve church division in Corinth over division over elders? Glory in God. That's what they were missing. Glory in God. For like Paul said in the beginning, 
Did Paul die for you? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in my name? Then be quiet and serve Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, what a different kind of sermon this was. Uh, But Lord, important to know how we treat pastors and elders as your people. And Lord, may you help us and convict us of this. And to Lord, to worship you. Lord, let us be thankful appropriately. Let us show honor and respect like you've commanded us to do. Let us give credit where credit is due for the glory of your name. Let us be thankful for people who serve us and are used by you to water, to plant. But Lord, know that whatever happens in this place does not happen because of any one individual. You don't need me, God. You don't need any of us. But yet you choose to use us for your glory. And because you love us. God, I thank you again for the calling that you've placed upon my life to serve you in this way. And God, that you would keep my pride in check. And that you keep me in continual repentance and running to the cross to guard my heart as one who has to give an account before God for these people. God, I pray that you would raise up elders in this church men qualified, men of integrity, men of character who could lead and shepherd well. And Lord, when that happens, we understand and know that we're one among equals. We're on the same team. Oh God, we love you. Help us now, God, to do your will through this word. I know you will work in ways that we will never know. Sanctify your people through this word today. Save sinners. Draw them to repentance. May they know that Jesus Christ died for sinners like them if they're not a Christian this morning. That he died on the cross for them and rose again on the third day. And by belief in him, they can be saved. They can be forgiven of their sins, turning from their sin to Christ. Oh God, thank you. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord, this is my prayer. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let this church hear the word. Let this church be led in holiness. Let this church grow as you direct. Not for the glory of anyone, but for the glory of your name, for your fame. Yet not I, but Christ in me. God, may this be the prayer of all of our hearts. In whatever area of life we find ourselves in, whether we're a nursery worker, a children's church worker, an Awana worker, a choir member, at our jobs, at our schools, in our neighborhoods, God, use us. Find us faithful. Let us not beat ourselves with man-made, self-imposed guilt because of things that you've never asked us to be concerned about. 
Do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing a closing song appropriately. We sang it once already, but I think it's going to have even better meaning now as you hear this. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's sing.